Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Illegal Pete's. I'm Henry Chisholm and we have a special guest today. Andre Simone is joining us. Well, well, well. Well, Here well, well. There you are. Um, so we both watched some old Carl Durrell tape, uh, UCLA, Vanderbilt, and uh, since Dre's kind of our film expert here, we're going to get his takes on the scheme and yeah. then dig into all sorts of other buff stuff too. So hope you guys are excited for that. I know we are. Yeah, lots of news with that staff and everything too. Huh? Yeah. So big day for that new Buffs coaching staff, I think. Good day for it. A good day. Excellent day. Yep. I think had you told anyone coming in, they would keep Chev, they would keep Tyson Summers, a lot of people's concerns would have been eased. And Mikulowski, I know I've been kind of pounding the table for him. No, uh, you're right. I'm not surprised they kept him around. I think that he was probably one of the people who Rick mm-hmm. George kind of said, like, no, you're, you're, you're keeping him around. But uh, yeah, and then also Darian Hagan, who is also a good coach, even Dude, though he wasn't huge. one of the first ones named. Well, and I mean, with the kind of talent they've added at running back the last two years, Hagen is, you know, Mangum and Ashad, they got recruited by two different head coaches. They did. I mean, of course, Mel had to come in and close the deal with with Mangum, mm-hmm. but two different head coaches. That running back coach, though, is staying the same. Yeah. And yeah, you look at studs on defense, you know, late Nate Landman and Mustafa Johnson, they don't want to go through a third defensive coordinator. No. And and after seeing what this defense turned into late in the season, mm-hmm. you don't want to start that process no. over again. And now the question is, is Tyson Summers able to do all this on his own? Or was Mel Tucker really pulling more strings behind the scenes? Talking to, I, I remember one former player said that uh, it was much more Tyson Summers who was responsible for the defense kind of coming alive in the second half of the season um, much more than it was Mel Tucker mm-hmm. um, I've heard from other people that they see it differently so sure. it's kind of the conflicting reports there what happens when you talk to a bunch of 20 year olds yeah. and their perspectives on things right. but yeah I, I think that there's a good chance that they're just going to be able to keep building on what they did yeah no I think that continuity is huge I think uh, building off that scheme is going to be great Having guys who were already in place for that new defensive talent, you know, the Alfano's and uh, Harris is the big DN, yep. the Cali DN, Arizona DN? Uh, Arizona, yeah. Arizona DN, the the basket, the power forward size kid. And he's um, one who I guarantee you, if Mikulowski had left, he's gone. Yeah, I saw, it must have been you who retweeted his, his mom. mom. Yeah. yeah. She seemed amped up about that. Yeah, I'm sure she was. I mean, we haven't seen pass rushers of that caliber in Boulder for quite a long time. No, no, it has been a long time, especially to have this depth of pass rushers. Yeah. Where all of a sudden there, there's a very real scenario where by the end of next season, Mustafa Johnson's your third best pass rusher. Yeah, he could he could be surpassed by Antonio Alfano. I think I'd expect that. And I'd be mm-hmm. surprised if Jason Harris did, but it's on the table for sure. Yeah. Well, and having, you know, you've got some... Alfano's very versatile on that three-man front. Yep. Um, Mustafa also very Mustafa, versatile. Mustafa, right. And those guys can kind of, you know, clog gaps. They're going to be good run defenders, but they can also get after the passer. And that's going to really open up stuff for those linebackers. So yeah. it's exciting. I mean, as I said on TDSP, now Carl Durrell's real job begins in recruiting... The, the kids he already has on campus mm-hmm. and already signed letter intents because, you know, some of these freshman class, some of this incoming freshman class, they're not even on campus yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and you know, maintaining the, the staff, and he's succeeding at that already. So, yep. encouraging early signs. And I don't think that he is really in a spot where he's going to lose anybody he doesn't want to lose. Mm-hmm. I would be very surprised by that. And so, if if you're looking through this and saying, uh, let's see, who's who's somebody who's out? I don't know. Um, ju- but but just if you're thinking, oh, that's a tough loss. At this point, most of these assistant coaches aren't just going to be leaving um, unless they don't have a spot because there aren't too many jobs open. So whatever's left open, it's going to be up to um, Durrell to kind of fill those spots, and he must think he has guys who would fit there. Uh, Interesting. Yep. And then one more important note is that uh, today they said – so the quote from the press release was, I had great conversations with all four, and while I haven't determined their exact roles as of yet, I'm excited that we share the same goals and vision for the program. So I think Hagen's been a quarterback's coach before. I would guess that he's probably sticking with the running backs. You know, Chev's been an offensive coordinator before. Mm-hmm. Again, you probably expect him to stick with the receivers. Um, Mikulowski, I doubt he'd change. Tyson Summers, I doubt, is going to be demoted. Right. But all of this still is pretty flexible, um, and that's definitely worth noting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but nice to see that some of the bigger names on that defensive staff are being held. And I thought it was very telling in Durrell's uh, presser that he said, you know, we found... CU has historically always won with great defenses, first and foremost. Yep. And just because he's an offensive coach, he's not going to undermine that side of the ball. No. This isn't some Mike Leach where it's like, abandon all hope on defense. You know, you just got to stop him once, and we're going to try and put a Mm -hmm. 50-burger on him. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like he's built his offense to complement a defense. Like mm-hmm. that's what his scheme mm-hmm. is, is great point. This is an offense that fits well on a defensive football team. Yes, it yeah. sure is. Well, we might as well get into that scheme then. Huh? Let's just jump in. Um, so I watched the UCLA game against Oklahoma. Yeah, um, that was in 05. Yep. That the was year that he won Pac-12 coach of the year. They were ranked in the top 10 at a certain yep. point. Had a really good season, right? His record, record as a head coach looks nice despite three of the four years going six and six. Because Four of then, the five. Four of the five, yeah. yeah. Because he had a t- there's a ten and two sprinkled <laughs> yep. in there. I know, and then and then he lost like I think four or five bowl games or three or four bowl games because he didn't coach that last one. So right, that balances right. it out a little right, bit. Right, right. But but yeah, so uh, that game it was kind of the marquee win for Durrell during Big his ten. time there. Um, yeah, Rose Bowl's Oklahoma. popping. He's got more. that was maybe the biggest takeaway. Right? I didn't know that the Rose Bowl could be like that. I didn't know yeah. a regular season game could get that many fans. A lot well in college game days there, Lee Corso. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And the crew are there. Um and he had some studs on that offense. He did. It he did. starts with Mercedes sp- Lewis. Mercedes Lewis as the stud tight end. He, he boy, he was amazing. And again, since I mean I was born in ninety seven. So nice, that was nice. I was eight when that game was played. Facts. My real memories of Mercedes Lewis probably start what when I'm like twelve, thirteen. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I had only seen him as just like this big guy. And so to see like young Mercedes Lewis moving the way he moved, he honestly looked oh. like Visca in some ways. Dude, he, it was freaky. Yeah. It was freaky. And it's easy to understand how you would feature a guy like that and most college defenses wouldn't have an answer. There's there's no answer. There just isn't one. Yeah. Like clone Isaiah Simmons and put him in 2005. <laughs> yeah. Even he's going to struggle because Mercedes Lewis is just a giant and moved really fluidly. Yeah. And then on top of that, he's got Maurice Jones-Drew in his backfield. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. And exactly the kind of talent you want in that offense. Exactly. You want a stud tight end. You want a stud running back. Yep. That kind of set the tone. Um, And as we were talking on the phone to figure out our day and our schedule, and as we do, we got sidetracked by football talk. That's why we call instead of text. Yeah. It's tough to get sidetracked in text. That's true. My note was, boy, that 05 UCLA offense is more of a pro-style offense than what they run in the NFL in 2019. Seriously. Like, that's not a that's not an exaggeration. Tight ends, fullbacks. Like, it is very much like a very classic West Coast pro-style offense. Um, again, you just have... 
MJD reading his stuff and finding holes and wiggling through it and then mm-hmm. kind of having that bowling ball. Very CJ Anderson-like yeah. in yep. a lot of ways. Yep. Um, the Mercedes Lewis playing the Visca role. Yeah, which he moved around. Yep, mm-hmm. and, and that was the thing that I really frustrated me watching it was like, wow, I wish Visca could have had one year in this offense. And, and even though it isn't nearly as explosive and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. like that's Visca's fit. And like a West Coast offense, catch the ball and then make a play. You know, let him run like an eight yard out, catch the ball, make one guy miss, and then there's room to run in front of him. That's what he's good at. All this spread downfield type stuff, nah, that's that that's right. not really right. his strength. But but in an offense like this, he would have been a monster for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's a lot of, you know, 22 personnel, yep. two tight ends, one back. Or, I mean, two backs. Two backs yeah. in 22. Or 12 personnel, two tight ends, one back, and then Mercedes Lewis's flex out in, mm-hmm. in the slot. So it's really, you're looking at it, it's 12 personnel, but it's almost... It's almost tricking you because you're thinking, oh, we're going to put out the defense to guard 12 personnel, but it's it really essentially functions as 11 personnel, as a three-wide set. And that's like the matchup stuff that we talk about mm-hmm. right now. And again, on the draft podcast, yeah. for example, yeah. when we're talking about Visca and how he is that matchup nightmare because you can line him up anywhere. And if they try to match him up with the cornerback, right. you put him in at H-back and let him block and you run against right. the light box. If they match up with a linebacker, well, mm-hmm. obviously that's not going to work. And again, that's kind of what the West Coast offense is. Yeah. It was weird watching them do that um, in 2005 because like they didn't have like all the motions and it didn't look like I don't know it, the way football is played now. It's like all the analytics stuff and it's like here's how your most efficient option. You right, know, right. They have the linebacker. You take advantage of it every single time, and so they didn't really do that. It was like you yeah. have that. But I don't know. Yeah. It, it was definitely interesting to see. It's weird watching football from 15 years ago. It's really odd. I didn't think. I would be, it would look that different. Yeah. Their pads look different, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's straight up big boy football and it looks like it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but yeah, that whole, you know, oh, it's 12 personnel, but it's really functions as 11 personnel and the problems that's going to give a defense. That's something I talked about at length in my Pat Shermer uh, film breakdown. Mm-hmm. That's what he was doing with the Giants last year mm-hmm. with Evan Ingram, for example. And there it's a little different. It looks like 11 personnel, but it really turns out to be four wide. Yep. And then you're running back Saquon Barkley. So, yeah. You know, that's that, that presents some other conundrums as well. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, so we're recording the Broncos pod after this, and I'm really excited because I don't think I've... Uh, used my LaVisca Chenault Saquon Barkley comp enough and I'm going on my rant today and I'm pretty pumped stay tuned you mentioned Saquon so I had to bring that up you're seeing more a lot more under center I mean a lot under center that's where I mean like it's more pro style than anything they're running in the pros Mm -hmm. yeah a little play action sprinkled in there and, you know, some concepts of that Shanahan offense. I mean, this is yeah. a guy who was a quarterback coach under Gary Kubiak with the Texans, wide receiver coach with the Broncos when, you know, in the in the heyday of the And the I believe Shanahan that was era. his last job before the UCLA job, was receivers coach of the Broncos. Yes, I think he that's went right. straight over exactly. as head coach after. Exactly. I think the Vandy tape is more telling of more of the stuff we'll see. Yeah, because um, 2014. Yeah, they st- for starters that the production of that offense isn't great. They had four different quarterbacks throw over 60 pass attempts that year. Mm-hmm. Three were underclassmen, two freshmen and a sophomore. Yikes! The year prior, they had lost two wide receivers, including one Jordan Matthews, one of the better prospects to come out of Vanderbilt this decade. Yeah, and their starting center. Tons of inexperience at quarterback. So they just, that first year of that new era of Vanderbilt football, that was under um, their their current coach, Mason. I didn't realize he's been there that long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Doesn't have a winning record. I he's know, a, it's incredible. <laughs> he's a Harbaugh-Shaw disciple. He was okay. a guy on the defensive side of the ball. So hiring oh. a guy like Darrell made a lot of sense because you could use that veteran has already had experience as a head coach. 
um, yep. can you know can implement an offense that's going to help the defense exactly and that kind of stuff. The game I watched against South Carolina, probably their best game against SEC competition that year. Boy, they start off heavy. I mean, twenty-two personnel, so two backs, two tight ends, one receiver. Yeah, that's and the important got, part there. You've got both tight ends and the fullback stacked on the line. Yeah. Quarterback under center. This is 2014, kids. Like I, <laughs> here I was already like breaking down film and writing up scouting reports and stuff and saying stuff like you know uh, expecting quarterbacks to have experience on their centers away of the past. Yeah, you know already in 2014, this kind of offensive revolution was full on and it makes sense that someone coming from stanford yep. would want an offense like yep. this because stanford wisconsin iowa there are a few others but really those three i think you might look to hey this is going to be what cu will be they'll yeah. be one of those outliers who's playing more of a pro style offense the tight end matters a lot the tight end um, Steven Shue led the team in receptions, receiving yards, and was tied for the lead in receiving touchdowns that year. Not great numbers. 30, <laughs> 39 receptions, 525 receiving yards, four touchdowns. Um, but, you know, they were moving the ball. They were moving, despite being undermanned in the trenches, not having a ton of talent at wide receiver or running back, and some very inexperienced quarterbacks. They were making it work. And you can see how these pro-style concepts do give these defenses a bit more trouble. Because now it, it's not exactly like preparing for the triple option. It's mm -hmm. not that different. Like you're, you're yeah. not used to seeing as many of these concepts. Um, and then, of course, you would see him sprinkle in some 11 personnel from shotgun. Um there was a good amount of running out of the I formation. I mean, old school stuff, dude. Yeah. Quarterback is under center, fullback and running back behind him in a line and just running it up the gut. You're seeing a little more zone blocking, a little more of that shanty offense. O-lineman moving um, more east and west than north and south. And definitely more play action bootlegs and stuff. This looked, the Vandy tape looked a lot more like that Kubiak Shanahan offense, which of course is all the rage in the NFL. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I think the question now is what has changed in the last six years. You know, is he going to go mm -hmm. back to exactly that? Yes. Um, would and again, that's where the Buffs were headed. You know, that's what we all wanted the Buffs to do, and that's what they were successful with late. They're running behind that big offensive mm -hmm. line. They they were rotating those backs in, mm -hmm. and I think we all agreed that that was how you best use this roster. I think we, I know I got kind of sidetracked throughout this coaching search saying like, hey, Graham Harrell. Right, right. You, you don't have more than two good receivers, but you have eight above average receivers, right. and that's kind of what you need for the air mm -hmm. raid. You know, you, you look at uh, Sarkeesian as well, more that West Coast, and he'll run the ball quite a bit, but not like this right so so i do think that even if this doesn't sound all that flashy it's yeah. kind of what the buffs were on track to do and that's why it makes sense to continue and it also a recruiting class this one in particular aside yeah. from lewis that's the question yeah what what do you do at quarterback but i mean as i was saying off air this is also a guy who was with the dolphins when they went full-blown wildcat in 08 yeah trump the trump the um New England Patriots that year doing yeah, so. so he's got some wrinkles in there. I think what I like seeing in the the Vandy tape was, um, you know, they're bludgeoning him to death. They're running. They're they're doing this heavy stuff, and then they fake a handoff to the running back, end around, and that goes for mm -hmm. for a big play because now yeah. you're not used to guarding the perimeter like you would in these other offenses, and that is so like new age Shanahan. Like, that's what McVay exactly. does. That's you know. that's what the West Coast offense is mm -hmm. and it has been and you see that kind of stuff. And I think there, there was one of those in that Oklahoma game too. Yeah. That same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I guess it was Oklahoma that did, wasn't it? Oh. It was. Yeah. They faked the handoff to yeah. Adrian Peterson yeah. and it goes around. But again, like that's always been a part of the West Coast offense. It's just mm -hmm. like, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing all these little passes, but then boom, we do something else. It's just over the last few years that we start to see like that end around becomes 
just as important as any other play. Yeah. Like that jet sweep type stuff. Right. And how is he totally modern in his usage of that stuff? I mean, cause you can look at the, the Ravens, for example, mm-hmm. the 49ers, for example, mm-hmm. definitely very power football type teams, yes. but they still incorporate all this creative stuff. And that's part of the reason it works so well, because they're still able to spread the defense out horizontally, even when they do just want to pound straight up the middle over and over again for most of the game. Um, Absolutely. And again, that West Coast offense, that's West Coast stretches the defense horizontally. Um, you know, the air raid, a lot of that's more vertical stretching. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all mm-hmm. kind of that same concept is you just want to find a weak spot or create a weak spot. Mm-hmm. And the more you can keep a defense off balance yeah. with those ends around and stuff, that's what's going to make it all work. Right. And a lot of the concepts are make it look the same pre-snap, do different things. Yep. Every, so you can't key in on anything pre-snap. Put... Put your jet sweep guy in motion mm-hmm. every play mm-hmm. and then only give it to him once every five times. Another way they'd use motion is you motion the tight ends. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you think this is the strong side. You motion the tight ends. You're going to you switch the numbers game and you run to that side. And all of a sudden we have the numbers to that side. Yep. I mean, it's old school football, but it works. Yep. You know, Um so again, I think the tight end's going to be really key. I think these running backs are going to be very happy. Um, lots of balance in that 2014 season. They ran it 383 times, passed it 357 times. More the, just scrolling through my notes now. They love he loves tight ends. Yep, and and that's going to be loves loves. That's going to be interesting to see mm-hmm. how that works out here. What could um, Bo Bichard finally become? Is he like a factor? Yeah. I mean, because yeah, he's still even factored like thought, in the mix here. Yeah. He graduated, I think. Well, there you go. So, no. Yeah. He definitely graduated. I know. Isn't that like a weird thing? It's hard though? to figure out like who all so, is going to be put to use in this. Yeah. Who will benefit from all this? Exactly. Because I have, you know, Brady Russell's your number one tight end, and no matter how many times they try to bring somebody in to replace him, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Yep, he just holds down that job. Yeah, um, and then after him, it would have been Jared Poplowski probably. He tore his right. ACL. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, then you have Legend Brumbaugh, who obviously Jimmy Brumbaugh's son, the defensive line coach who left for Tennessee. Who knows if Legend's planning on staying? I don't, but he has that build to be somebody who could contribute. We didn't see much of him last year, though, because he was kind of buried. Luke Stillwell, still there. Um, Caleb Foria. Yeah, like you're the going, freshman. Well, there you go. Foria. Good name. Yeah, dude. He could break out quickly. Well, fairly highly touted. Yeah, and he's more of an athlete for the position than a blocker, and so he... I think that there definitely could be a role for him early on. Um, it just would require more route running and I mean, him to put on as much weight as he can so he doesn't just get pushed around in the run game, but on the table for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the offensive line, I'm cautiously optimistic about. Mm-hmm. You know, they they lose Arlington Hambright. They lose Tim Lanott, their center and their left tackle. Yeah. They lose the offensive line coach. Um yep. But That's, they bring back William Sherman, who I, I think is the best. You know what? I think he's the best lineman to come through CU since Bakhtiari. Fair. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. And and I think that that's going to be kind of how he's looked at going into the season. He could be a, a candidate to leave school early, too. Um, but yeah, you, you have some pieces. You have some young talent. They've gotten a lot mm-hmm. bigger up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much of last year's success was having a senior center calling things out yeah. and having a great offensive line coach, we'll find out. But then they have the running backs at fullback. Yeah, that's a question. Could, could, I mean, <laughs> Brady, question, Brady Russell's the answer to that question too. Like, <laughs> Right. I mean, he's but kind he can't of your, play everything. He was kind yeah. of your move tight end. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of that H back type, you know, inline hybrid. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's poised for a big season no matter what. Yep. <laughs> like plain yep. and simple. Yep. And yeah, they're going to have to they're going to have to adjust. Um here's the other thing. This is where that starts from 
And in a lot of ways, it's see you going back to their roots. And in my, I'm 32. Any time in my life that the Buffs have been good, when they needed to run for a first down, they could. Yep. And that was true during the rise season of a couple years ago. That was true in the late 80s when I was just a baby. Yeah. When they needed to run the ball, they could. And... Um, you know, we've seen teams like Utah and Stanford had a ton of success doing exactly that in the Pac-12 conference. Shoot, Oregon. That was a run-first yeah. offense, man. Yeah. Let's not tricky. You know, and let's it, not fool ourselves. I was going to bring that up earlier when you're talking Washington. about, you know, you have Iowa, you have these other teams that really are power football teams. That's what Oregon has turned yep. into. You're right. And... Who knows if that protected Justin Herbert or made people think, why is this guy getting all the hype he got? Yeah. But I mean, even with a quarterback of that caliber, they still just wanted to pound the rock. Yep. That's that's yep. how football works. Absolutely. That's how football works. Absolutely. And if you want to help your defense, which is where you're going to have more of the veteran playmakers this year, mm-hmm. as we've said, this is the kind of offense you'll want to you'll wanna use. Um yeah, I mentioned the pre-slap motions. I mentioned the zone blocking. Run, backside runs are going to be good, uh, big. Yep. So not just having talent at running back, but having some some IQ and vision is going to be yeah. really important. That's Alex Fontenot, too. That's the lead back. Mm-hmm. That's his strength. Whereas Ashog Clayton, Jaron Mangum project more as guys who are, set, who are told hit this hole and yep. hit it hard. Font knows more of your balance, bounce around, find a spot, and then take advantage of it. Um, and so I think that that does change the picture for the running backs room a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the OC hire will be very telling. Yep. It's nice to have an OC that's had play calling, ex- a former OC that's had play calling experience and has had experience in the ultimate air raid offense, mm-hmm. and that's Coach Cheverini and mm-hmm. his experience at Texas Tech under Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. Um, you know, even though that offense wasn't great, being able to have that and throw in those those things will be nice. Now, let's not forget, Durrell's coming from the Dolphins, where they weren't running this kind of offense last yeah. year. Um, you know, they've got fits. They're going three wide. They're kind of sprinkling it all over and getting those receivers... Uh, the ball. And in a lot of ways, I think, yes, they could be the Wisconsin or Stanford of the Pac-12 South. Could also be that they end up being the 49ers. The fo- Yes, absolutely. And maybe, and to a certain extent, just become like a lot of most teams in modern college football are and just run that power spread. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I could definitely see it. Um, and you sprinkle in more RPOs and stuff like that. And uh, functionally, the RPO is going to work in a lot of ways like the option did in, in the heyday for CU, which, again, Durrell was around for. Yeah. So, Okay. Um, I think that we should probably uh, talk about our good friends at Breckenridge Brewery. Ooh, we sure should. What's, and the Colorado core. Uh, you like the, that one, Dre? Champagne of ciders, as we've called it before. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. I think it's perfect for all seasons. Oh, really? You're it's, an all seasons. I'm an all seasons Colorado, Colorado core guy. Core mm. guy. Some have said I'm Colorado core to my core. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, wasn't that good? Sorry, guys. <laughs> not here for the not here for the jokes. Just the, just the breakdowns. Um, yeah, it's it's delightful. It's great. It's bubbly. It's fruity. Very bubbly. It's not like the strawberry sky where it's like a subtle fruitiness. Right. It's very much an apple beer. Yeah, and yet I would not classify it as a cider. No. Quite different from a but cider. But if somebody said, do you want a cider and brought it to you and you'd never tried it before, do you think you'd be like, cider? This isn't a cider. Well, I mean, well. Depends on how many you uh, pack. Hard for, yeah. <laughs> In a sense, it's almost a, a bit of a champagne because yeah. it's got that good bubbliness, but then it's got it's refreshing and it's got a really nice smooth finish to it. So smooth. It's it's good stuff. I highly suggest you guys check it out and uh, get on that beer tracker. Beer locator. Fun, almost, beer locator. Almost. Oh, man. Beer locator at the Breckenridge oh. Brewery website. It'll get you all set up. Also, if uh, you're not thirsty for alcohol... You can drink Strava Craft coffee. 
it'll Good call. wake you up. I have the hiccups right now, so this is going to be a fun end of the show. Nice. Um, and uh, it, it won't give you jitters. It fixes your pain inside or outside because it's CBD infused and that stuff just is basically magic. Um, give it a try. If you use the code DNVR2019, um, then you can get 20% off your uh, purchase. We need to update those codes. They're 2020 now. Yeah. A fair. But you use the uh, code no. that's active, so you guys exactly. use that. So make sure you guys don't use the code 2020, otherwise you won't get your 20% off. It would yeah. actually make more sense, 2020, 20% off. I'll talk to wow. Lindsay well, about it. There you go. I bet she'd love to you change all of our codes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She'll say, Henry, go away. <laughs> no, <laughs> my part. Um, okay. Next up, um, we, well, we kind of jumped into all the scheme stuff and what we expect, but... We haven't had a chance to just ask Dre what he thinks of bringing in Durrell. So what are your thoughts on that hire, Dre? Yeah, interesting. Not the the first choice, obviously. Um, but, you know, the people will reference Pete Carroll just like people uh, would have referenced Coached O. Um, you know, yeah. guys who undervalued head coaches a while back and didn't seem like a natural fit, but found ways to make it work and really became kind of the tippy top coaches, at, you know, to top of their profession when given a chance. And, you know, college, college coaching hires are so much about having the right fit. Um, yep. That's just what it comes down to. And he seems like a bolder guy in the same way that Ed Orgeron seems like very a Louisiana much, guy. Very much a Louisiana. <laughs> the other thing that stood out about me is, you know, to me, what matters more than what are my thoughts as this computer and across the office starts to just talk to it itself. Is? Yeah. Yeah. We just like restarted it and. Oh, yeah, so, I, I thought there was like um, a person who snuck in here. I was like, we only employ like three <laughs> women. None of them sound like that. We're working on it. None of us sound like a, a robot. Yeah, <laughs> no, not God that I know that. Um, One of the new interns or something. I always try to think what, like the person making this decision, what were they thinking? So the team that made this draft choice, what were they thinking? Or Rick George, who made this hire, what was he thinking going into yep. this? And what Rick George is thinking is this dude checks off a lot of boxes. He's experienced. He's he he's seen how you win at CU at the highest level. He has head coaching experience prior. He's yep. coached at all levels. You know, it's easy to be like, oh, what are his recruiting connections? He mentioned it. Going to being a Florida guy, being able to go into a household in Miami and say. I coached the Miami. I was the assistant head coach of the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. I left For three that days job almost. to take this. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> um, you know, that'll play well if you're going up against guys like Link Kiffin or Willie Taggart yep. for a prospect. Who, yeah, they have the flashy names and stuff, but what have they really accomplished in their career? Nothing. And I think they've accomplished making their names flashy. Right. And, and I mean, they've made themselves lots of money, which is, oh, I guess they're you know, good for them. They might even list yeah, that before yeah, having yeah, a flashy name. Yeah, I mean, the fam, I'm sure, is happy of, of what they've been able to do. Yeah. But I think that NFL experience is something they have prioritized, and uh, he definitely is up there. Yeah. And yeah, he's not... A lot of these hires, some are scheme, some are leaders of men. He's definitely a CEO type. But a CEO type, I think, plays better in the college game nowadays than it does in the NFL. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Because you you have to manage everything. You have to be a CEO type. Ed Orgeron, CEO type. Especially the way like recruiting is growing and growing mm -hmm. and growing. And you're just like constantly traveling and you're all over the yeah. place and you're building these relationships. And there's five high schools in an area. You got to like jump down there for a weekend, make sure you're getting everybody. Like it, recruiting just seems like it's getting more and more important. I wasn't around in like the 90s, yes. but I'd imagine in the 90s, it's like, here are guys, let's go offer them. There aren't these like massive databases, so everybody has all this Absolutely. information yeah. and you can key in on guys and mm -hmm. the big guys are getting offers from all these different schools and all these different, and, and you get that and the, the growing budget, even though we've talked a lot about the budget not being where you'd want a power five schools budget right. to be, I don't think it's that bad, but 
that's a lot of money to manage. You have to figure out who are my graphic designers, who yeah, are all these right, people, and you have right. to. There's su- it's just such a big thing right now. Mm-hmm. It's such a big organization compared to what it used to be. You've, right, you've got to boosters and all that boosters. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah, you need to be a program builder. That's not a euphemism anymore. You have to be that. Seriously, that's, that's your job. Requirement. You just don't have time to be digging too deep into the right. X's and O's. I don't think. And I would counter on the recruiting thing. Yes, recruiting has always mattered, and yes, we're we're able to get more insights now on recruiting with all these recruiting databases. CU fans need to also ask themselves. Do I want a team that's going to be ranked in the top 25 in February on Rivals or 247 in their recruiting rankings? Or do I want a team that's going to be ranked in the top 25 in December and January for yep. what they did on the field? And, and because I don't know. Teams like Wisconsin, Utah, those teams are ranked in the top 25 on the field based off their win-loss record. Yep. They're not often in the top 25 in those recruiting rankings. Yeah. But they're able to develop those three stars and turn them into future NFL players. Mm -hmm. And the Buffs, the only time they've really had success in the last 15 years in during the rise, it was guys like Chidobe Awuzie, like Phil Lindsay, like um, Sefo Lufau, you know... Tedrick Thompson, Akella Weatherspoon, Isaiah Oliver, all those studs on those teams. Those are three-star guys that were picked correctly, were developed, and they're all in the NFL right now, aside from Cepho, who injuries aside would probably be at least on a practice squad somewhere. Yep. Um, so, yeah, don't get too caught up in the recruiting hype. It's a unique circumstance. He wouldn't have been on a lot of teams' finalist lists. He certainly wouldn't have been hired as an OC by anyone, but that's scheme related, you know? That's, yeah. You, this isn't why you hire him. You hire him because he's a CEO type who's got the experience, who knows how to win here, who has experience in this conference and understands that. So I'm uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that this could be uh this could be a hire that exceed certainly exceeds the hype it had coming in. Yeah, I agree. And one more part on, point on the recruiting thing, it's it's great to get the talented guys and they're all graded by how fast they are and how strong they are and all that kind of stuff. But you know, Brian Mikulowski who's coming back, for example, he's a great recruiter. And part of the reason why is that he doesn't just go by stars. Like, obviously, Jason Harris has a whole lot of stars. But at the same time, like, he knows how to connect over football. Yeah. And, and, like, if, if somebody connects with a guy like Mikulowski, it's because they want to nerd out about X's and O's and spend a lot of time talking about schemes and all that kind of stuff. My and kind it, of guy. Exactly. And so if, if there's a three-star who wants to come play for you because he connects on all of those bases, that's just as important as getting a four-star as, like, Eh, I'll go with somebody who I think could show me a good time in Boulder and who's a good enough athlete that you'd want him up, up there. So when you're paying attention to recruiting, it's also important to like note that these personalities are going to attract people with the same personalities. That's why you want somebody like a Mikulowski out there saying, hey, let's just talk about how offensive lines work for 30 minutes and how to attack them and then I'll head out. You know, and and, yeah. and that's how you find those guys who you can develop is are they into that kind of stuff? Are they willing to put the time in the weight room? It's not just about stars. And it's not like it's just some lottery either. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Predictions on a staff? Do you really think someone <sighs> like Cable could be the offensive line coach? That'd be such a huge game. It would be. It would be. Uh, I will say that you should definitely keep thinking about Tom Cable. I'll definitely think you don't cross that name off in your mind right now. Man, that'd be um, huge. Whether he'd take a lateral move to Colorado, uh, whether bringing these guys back means that more of the $700,000 that was added to the assistant coaching salary bonus could just be thrown at Tom Cable. I think that's on the table. Yeah. There currently is no offensive coordinator. I think you could see a guy like Tom Cable coming as offensive coordinator. You know, right. He, right. he you was track them by giving them that upgrade. Yeah. Yep. And you know, he he was the offensive coordinator for Darrell at UCLA. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of other ties throughout their history, and they're very good friends. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that that'd be fun. T. C. McCartney. Ah, uh, I I would love it. 
I would love to see him here. I think that if you bring in T.C. McCartney, um, so he's he's an offensive assistant with the Browns right now. If you right. make him quarterbacks coach, um, I think that two years from now he's your offensive coordinator. Right. And when Darrell leaves, he's the guy you're he looking at as your next kid. head coach. Mm, that's and interesting. That's the path that he's on. Um, I don't think he'd consider going back to the college ranks if it wasn't at Colorado. Right. Right. I almost wonder if, you know, he's 30, he's turning 31, I think two months, a little under two months from uh-huh. now. Maybe, maybe he is ready for an offensive coordinator job. I think it'd be a little bit early, but see with the way things are lining up right now. We'll get that Shanahan disciple, man. Exactly. Really implement that Same offense. Tree. Cause, cause yeah, he, he played for Kyle mm-hmm. Shanahan or not played. Uh, he coached for Kyle Shanahan right. uh, two years ago. Yeah. Um, Kyle Shanahan last year, got his start under Durrell. Um, I, I, you know what? There's that's the other there's thing, conversations like, we have. There's ties everywhere. Durrell's scheme. If he wants to learn more air raid concepts, he calls up a guy like Dino Babers at Syracuse, yeah. who has coached under him. Eric Bieniemy. He wants right. He calls up yeah. Bieniemy and sees what they've done at the Chiefs. He wants to implement more of that Shanahan offense. He calls up Shanny himself. Yep. Exactly. He's got these connections, man. And, and this I, is huge. And I've been trying to harp on this as much as possible is that it really is a coaching community. Like if, if good point. If he wants to go sit down and spend mm-hmm. a day or two with any of these guys, mm-hmm. they'd all be very happy to have him. Yeah. So so if you're if you're in his shoes, that's something that I feel like you just have to do. Yeah. Like you just reach out to all these people. See what's new in like play design and all that stuff because you know he he I never thought that he was like a great play designer play caller necessarily but he had the right attitude and knew what he wanted to do if he could get an, an a play designer maybe I guess I wouldn't even say he's a bad play caller looking back I think he's decent but yeah, yeah it's yeah. I don't know just I that creativity look, boost that creativity somehow and they're gonna right. be in a great spot throw in those wrinkles that you're privy to yep. I also feel like man and I told you this off air I guess I didn't say it on the pod watching that 2014 Vandy tape I just felt like if they just had the type of talent CU had a year ago you know those tackles Montez Visca and KD that offense would have been a whole different animal Yep. You know. Yeah. Exactly. So, we'll see how it works. Yeah. It'll uh, be interesting. And I I could see them opening things up a little bit. I could see them going two tight ends as much as possible. I, I do think, think it's telling him saying that they want to be a uh, they they're, they're going to pass the ball, yep. you know. Yep. <sighs> I almost wonder if they're going to be going after grad transfers. Like who is your fullback? Jaylee Stacks the freshman? Would you play Mangum there? Would Mangum be willing to play there a little bit? Right. Like he's, he's not, he's not a true fullback, but it's gets you on the field more and it's more two yep. back sets and you throw that wrinkle into the mix, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. I mean, there's a few ways to, to do it. I think they could benefit from a few grad transfers. Yeah. Including maybe a quarterback. There's a lot to like about the bus running backs, but none of them are all that versatile. They aren't guys who do a bunch of different things. Do you things. think Kashad could be developed to be more versatile, though? I don't think so this year. Uh-huh. I think that in a couple yeah, of years, you yeah, could see yeah. them throwing him the ball a little bit, but this season, I'd expect him not to be. You know, Deion Smith. Deion Smith, I was going to say. He's your one route runner, hands guy. Ah. What I come away with is uh, their freshman tight end is going to have... Uh, yeah, a ton of opportunities. I've got Foria, and then uh, what's who's the other one um, from uh, Palo Alto? Insanely, I also thought Luis Passarello. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so so either one of those, Legend Brumba, if if he's yeah. around, right, you could see him. He he has the body for it. I don't. Again, we haven't seen him play all that much. The other thing I was thinking of was this offense would be great to give Alfano two to five snaps on offense a game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I even wrote a whole uh, paragraph in my film room of his. Um, like put him in fullback. Like, just <laughs> yeah, like the dude moved so well at tackle. Like mm-hmm. he's got the blocking chops. Yeah. He'd be he'd be fun as kind of a tight end fullback from he time to time. He would be so fun. Yeah. You could give him he's a number. He's a bully, man. 
He is. I'm so. Oh my goodness! I haven't yes. been this excited about watching a Buffs player in quite a while. Anyway, yeah, Visca coming into the yeah. year, obviously. Yeah, Visca's up there. Um, this year Nate Landman's gonna be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I think that I, I think he's gonna be a stud. I, I, yes. I think <laughs> very yeah. early. I think. Yeah. I, I think that. Just keep him happy. Get him on the field as much as you can, and let him roll, man. Yeah, he's gonna be a monster. Mm-hmm. Alfano's gonna be good. Mustafa coming back for his last year. What These young some... cornerbacks. Yeah, the KJ right. Trujillo. Mm-hmm. Like he was a stud already as an eighteen-year-old. Right. Now let's see what happens with a full offseason. Well, well, not the, a full offseason. The Pac-12 South's kind of ripe for the taking, right? Very much so. Like Utah's got a ton of turnover. Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if Utah is a below-average Pac-12 team. I also wouldn't be surprised. You know, they have good coaches. Yeah, yeah, they have right. Decent right. core still. That's a great example of a great fit for that program, Utah. Yep, Whittingham. Did you great he, fit? Last night he was at the Jazz game with a BYU's coach. Oh, crazy! The two head coaches. I think they were sitting courtside. Oh wow! I was good like, for them keeping. Shouldn't they hate each other? Keeping it friendly. Yeah. Like, could you imagine? Like, as he said, it's a coaching community. Could there. you imagine though? Like. Durrell sitting courtside with Adazio, Adazio, <laughs> Scott Frost. Yeah, with Frosty would be the Ugh. harder one to see. No way. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean they they have some guys. It's yeah, no, you're then, right. Yeah, looking around like Oregon, keeping Summers. I think we can't say enough how huge that. Yep, is. and I know there was there was some pushback for Summers last year too. I think a lot of people were upset. I still go back. You know, it was it was the week of the Rocky Mountain Showdown. I was talking to Adam Munster Tiger from Twenty Four Seven Sports, and he was like, "You know what? About halfway through the season, there are going to be people who are going to be calling for Tyson Summers to be fired, and they are going to be totally wrong." And then that's exactly what happened, because things were bad, but it's a complicated defense. There was some turnover, right? And now they're coming back in year two, and I think that they could be real good again. What what is Oregon this year without Herbert? I don't know. Yeah. Without Troy Dye. Like, I, I still think they're competing for a Pac-12 title, but... I do, too. I, I don't think, think the they're the North is a little... But, you know, I think the South is wide open. USC. Keaton Slovis coming back. Yeah, Slovis. Like Slovis could be the... And you figure maybe UCLA by now will have kind of figured things out under Chip Kelly. I think so. I mean, because that's always been my thought. And Arizona State, man. I think, what, Herm Edwards, another guy whose resume doesn't compare too differently to yeah. Durrell. Yeah. Well, it's crazy that Durrell's making more money than him. Like, <laughs> Yes, it is, <laughs> yeah. Hank. Yes, it is, brother. <laughs> okay, um, I'm glad we agree there. And so now, yeah, it's, they have, and you know Marvin Lewis, their defensive coordinator now. I think he is. He's been on the staff. He was on the staff all of last yeah. year too. I think he was more an assistant head coach and kind of oversaw yeah. all sorts of things. I mean, he I think was he got another a name I kind of saw tossed around early in the process. Me too. It may, I mean, because he's very similar to Durrell. Fits that mold. Very much similar to Durrell. So I mean, at least it's it. To me, it doesn't seem like Rick George was confused about what he was looking at. Um, I think guys like, you know, the Oregon DC and Graham Harrell, you know, they're not ready to be thrown to the fire that is um, dealing with a a middling Pac-12 program that's trying to find its identity and is going to go on its third head coach in three years. Yeah. I don't think those guys were ready. I think Durrell is the right man for that kind of job. Agreed. Or a Troy Calhoun or a Marvin Lewis. That was more who you would look for. So much potential there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm so excited for football season. It's going to be a while, buddy. I know, but it's starting to it's really hit be a me. While. It's starting to hit me. Like, new coach, going back and watching all this stuff. We're, we're streaming the Combine while we're taping this, doing the Broncos pot after. The, well, how how do we only have like a three month baseball off season, but we have like nine months of football off season? Are you uh, secretly an XFL investor? Is that what this is? <laughs> uh, how do you know where this is going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Because there is such a maybe thing I as am football an XFL going guy. on I right might, now. I might just have I'll to have you know. Guy. Yeah. Ah, they make all the rules so dumb. Yeah. Well, that's a pod for another day. That is. Maybe I'm a CFL guy. Um, when is that? That's summer, right? Mm-hmm. Eh, I don't know. That's actual baseball. In Canada, season. you can't be outside during uh, during the winter. Uh, so. That's right. It's like a law. 
I'm like nature. So <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. the kid from Montana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is still south of there. Well, I'm That's aware. Like saying, I'm huh, aware. Colorado sure is cold, and it's like, well, yeah, but you're from. <laughs> New You're Mexico. From, uh, I don't know what states border the state. <laughs> Never mind. Um, next up, we want to tell you guys about Mile High Green Cross, where if you sign up for the loyalty program, you can receive 20% off your entire purchase once per month. It's conveniently located about a block away from me at nice. 9th and Broadway. There's parking. They accept hyper. You don't have to bring cash. Um, do you have any nice things you want to say about Mile High Green Cross, Dre? No, I mean, their selection oh. is great. Friendly <laughs> bud tenders, you know. Very friendly. So friendly. What's better? It's a great environment to go after work. Yeah. And you're before you take the edge off, you're already taking the edge off by being in that, ah. you know. Sometimes that's even nice enough of an edge room. removal. Exactly. Sometimes you just have to go in there and hang out for a minute. and That's right. Yeah, there you go. Just remind yourself how blessed we are to live in Colorado. So blessed. Yeah. Sign up for their loyalty program. You can get 20% off your entire purchase once per month. And that offer extends to current members. Try to sound less sarcastic when you say so blessed next time. Um, okay, that's um, your homework Sometimes assignment. I just always do that. Jeez, can my homework please. be watching football, though? <laughs> yeah, I like I mean, that. That homework was your better. homework this show. Exactly. Too, so. um, let's start with Sunny Rain. We have two comments here today. Hey, Henry. Uh, hey, Sonny Rain. Uh, we know that the main issue for the Pac-12 is the need for more revenue from its TV deal. I get that there's a possibility that holding all of the rights might be more beneficial in the long run, mm-hmm. and maybe that's the wiser move in the end. But what I don't get is why Larry Scott won't fix other issues. There's a good point. Uh, the way our top teams are playing way too late at night mm-hmm. on a Friday for maximum exposure or the way Pac-12 teams have to beat each other up to the tune of nine games on a schedule, these things should be easy fixes, and yet here we are. On Charles Durrell and recruiting, I'm honestly scared. I think when he tries to drop most of those names, kids are going to be like, who? It's going to make him look older than he is. Let's hope he gets a staff that can recruit like a mofo. Um, What were the names you mentioned him dropping? Uh, I guess Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey. Sure. Maybe those are old names. Yeah. But Devontae uh, Parker, just this season. Definitely um, not an old name. Yeah. Eric Decker. Is that kind yeah. of the borderline? That might be the cutoff. But that's like also like Robbie Anderson. And who else has he had up there the last couple of years? Right, right. Well, there, there are all sorts of recent people too, as well as, you know, he was just on Brian Flores' staff. And Brian Flores is kind of... Young, up and coming coach. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd Bowles is another connection. Mm-hmm. Like, there are a lot of names that he can drop. And maybe some of them are region-specific. Like, right. if, if you go into Colorado and said, hey, remember when Ed McCaffrey was great? That, that was me. Right. Like, like that's going right, to play right, right. here in the same way that Dave Logan saying, Hey, I'm Dave Logan would play here. The difference being that he can also go to everywhere else he's coached and yeah. pretty much do the same thing. Right. Go to Miami and say, Hey, I've coached the dolphins. LA say I coached mm-hmm. UCLA. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I came from Alameda and became this. I know yep. the path I can give you. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, there's still questions. We still have to see how it plays out, but we really just don't know if he's a good recruiter. He hasn't done it in so long. Yeah. Yeah. To me, the name that the flashy names are the coaches that he's developed under. That I might mean, be the way to go. It's crazy. We live in a world where the Buffs head coach gave Kyle Shanahan his start and the Rams head coach gave Ryan Day his big break. Yeah. Like the hottest up and coming yeah. coach in college football and the hottest up and coming coach in, in, in the NFL. They come from the Adazio mm-hmm. Carl Durrell trees mm-hmm. to some extent. Look, I've heard of Mike Shanahan. I get it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kyle Shanahan <laughs> will always be a Mike Shanahan coaching tree guy. Mm-hmm. But also, Still. Durrell is a Mike Shanahan coaching tree guy. That's exactly right. The thing is, for the stops that Durrell has, his own tree, everything that branches off underneath of him, pretty great. Like, I think we overrate being like, hey, I was an assistant under Nick Saban because it's like, well, yeah, Nick Saban's one with a lot of assistants, a yeah. lot of places. Yeah, I, really I'm not has. so sure you were the, you were the key because <laughs> guess what? They still did pretty well without you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, so I think, uh, I think that 
that NFL experience does does matter. Mm-hmm. I think that does matter to kids. I think developing coaches is much more than yeah, saying I was yeah. developed by this coach. Yeah, looking back, like also he's congrats, keeping Mel. Right, <laughs> way to right. help out like, Nick Saban. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm sure he's appreciative. Does he does he have your name tattooed <laughs> right. on him? I bet he does. I bet you <laughs> meant a lot. Oh, yeah, like you know Kirby's smart too. Like he's a defensive guy, <sighs> with or without Mel. That D yep. was going to be, you know, not to hate on Mel. Mel was great. We all loved yeah, Mel. We sure. were all hyped. He's a good coach. But again, us internally in the state of Colorado, we drank the Kool-Aid. That doesn't mean that nationally people were like, yeah. like you know, people on Ashad Clayton Street were like, oh, that's the house that Mel Tucker visited. Yeah. No, yeah. they're not. Yeah, no. They won't do that with Carl Durrell either, but no. I'm not saying no. you're, <laughs> you know, like it's more being able to to communicate and and get you know young kids excited and energized and as a position coach in the NFL he's done that guys yep. like Devontae yes. Park you know he's worked with young guys the the Dolphins weren't like oh it's a veteran team they're all 30 something like no <laughs> these are the, nobodies please get nobodies. something out of they them they were basically they drafted two days ago if they were drafted <laughs> right yeah and that's that's like what he's known for is taking guys who aren't even drafted Rod Smith. Rod Smith. Ed McCaffrey Ed wasn't McC- exactly yeah. a high pick. Yeah. You know. um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, okay. So that's a lot of thoughts on that. Um, also. But get back to the finances. I took you down a, a recruiting uh, tangent again. I love tangents. You um, got the finances on lock, though. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the, the thing about the teams playing way too late at night on Friday. Um, yeah. And there's also a thing where they're going to start playing really early on Saturdays. Remember that? To me, that's almost worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't start a game at 8 a.m. Pacific. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. In and, a conference we have where to say 10 that. of the 12 teams are on the Pacific time zone, yep. the other two on the mountain, that's too early. Yeah, but the reason they do it is because Fox has an open time spot there, yeah. and Fox will give them money to play those games in the morning, and they need money. Yeah, they want all eyes on them. When you're talking about the Friday night games, that's kind of the same deal. I think those are ESPN, right? I think they're ESPN and uh, yeah, ESPN... Also, just has that time slot open, and they're willing to pay a bunch of money to fill it, and so the Pac-12 fills it. And then also, the problem is that you can't fill a stadium at seven o'clock when it takes an hour to get from just outside the stadium to in the stadium, you know, to park and to walk and all that kind of stuff because everybody gets off work at five. And sure, there are a bunch of people who could leave work early, but when the Rose Bowl looks like the Rose Bowl has looked like recently. You can't do anything to push fans away. And so that's why you have to push it back as late as you can. Mm -hmm. And it's not a perfect solution. And if it were a stronger conference where they could say, you know what, ESPN, we're playing all of our games at three o'clock and eight o'clock or let's say three o'clock and six o'clock on Saturdays, then ESPN would probably have to like cave and say, okay, if that's what you're saying, we're saying we got to keep it a quality product. We got to say where we are. But right now. The SEC has that power, and yeah. the Big Ten has that power, and the Big mm-hmm. 12 has more power than the Pac-12 does. And so that's just yeah. where they're stuck. Um, who knows if they could get better deals if they had um, let you know, Fox be a part of the Pac-12 network or ESPN be part of the Pac-12 network. Um, it could be that that would play differently. Um, but yeah, it's frustrating that they have to play games or they have to play the games. But yeah. the truth is, if they're competing with the SEC or the Big Ten, even if they were playing those games at 2 o'clock on a Saturday... People would be watching the other games. Right. And so you got to get eyes how you can get eyes. Um, I'll agree that it sucks. As somebody who has had to cover oh. those late night games and leave stadiums at three in the morning, four in the morning, and then also somebody who could have to be leaving for the stadium at four in the morning. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, it's not pleasant. No. I mean, and it does kind of alienate some of the younger, I mean, some of the older. I mean, it just does. Not those 8 a.m. games. No, the 8 a.m.s, <laughs> the, the older crowd will enjoy yeah. those. Those are the ones they'll tailgate. Yeah, They're going to be absolutely. out there with their big old coffees early in the morning. Decaf. Black. The other thing is, you know, old people. College sports are so cyclical. I remember yep. what, it was like 2016 when the buffs were, you know, again, the rise season. You know, USC and Washington finished that year ranked in the top five. Stanford was ranked 12th. 
Colorado was ranked 17th, and then you had Utah 23rd. So almost half the conference was in the top five or 25 with two teams in the top five. That wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. So Again, you, you see that path. And the same yeah. way we say that there there's a potential for the Buffs to compete for the Pac-12 South or whatever, USC has a legit Heisman caliber quarterback. I mean, Adrian Martinez has also gotten Heisman hype before season. Khalil Tate has yeah. too. And so, again, it's early. We haven't seen all that much of him. But if you're betting on somebody, he's somebody you could definitely be betting on. Um, they looked better. They also have Clay Helton as head coach. Who knows? You say the same thing about yeah. Arizona State. Arizona State could be very good. I'm more bought in there. Um, there. There are a bunch of teams who could make runs, and you could see at some point five of them in the top 25. Right. right. One of these years it'll happen. Okay, uh, Silver Buff says, Too bad Pac-12 fans don't care enough to do anything about Larry Scott. The athletic directors and school presidents are complacent with Larry Scott, so the fans are the only ones that could do anything, but most don't even know who he is or what the revenue gap is. To the guy who said CU is a below-average program, turn in your fan card. Uneducated attempt at a hot take. The program is good. The team is not. 26th in all-time wins. 10th in conference championships. 23rd in draft picks. 28th in weeks weeks ranked. We've had bad teams since CU self-sanctioned themselves to death 20 years ago, but the program is well above average. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's no coincidence that when the Buffs were their best in the old Big 8, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and CU. Yep. That that was kind of what the SEC is now. Yeah. And and again, you need good teams to build off of. Yeah. Right now, like... Again, right. Like, Auburn was never this good until Alabama was dope. Yeah. You know, with it in this new... That really kind of raised... It mm-hmm. raises all boats. That, that old saying is not incorrect. A loss isn't as bad. A win is even better. Mm-hmm. Like, you just need everybody to start getting better. Um, Right now... Colorado is not where it needs to be. Um, next step, consistent bowl games. And right. I'm, I, I, I can guarantee Carl Durrell can get you to consistent bowl games. I think the question we have is how much further past that can he take you? Can he take you to Pac-12 titles, that kind of stuff? Um, Larry Scott, yeah, I mean, he's going to be gone. I, like I said in the last podcast, there's just no reason to do it right now. Like, I guess you could save... Uh, if he's making his five point whatever million and the SEC commissioner is making his two million even, like you could probably save three million dollars a year over the next two years, five hundred thousand dollars a school, and that'd be great. But also you're bringing in a commissioner who essentially can't do anything for two years until it's time to negotiate that TV deal. Like right. you could start cutting costs. You could start moving the offices so that you're not paying downtown San Francisco rent. Um, you could do some of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's the TV deal that's worth 25 to 40% of these schools' entire budgets. And you kind of just want to get somebody in when it's time to renegotiate that. Um, Rick George, I could see as somebody who's going to come into the Pac-12 office, cut a bunch of costs, and uh, do things. I mean, that's that's his MO. Man. I'm yeah. scared. Again, yeah. Uh, I feel for the guy because uh, he's on all these committees. The the way it works is you can be on all those committees if everything's taken care of at home. And so for him that means like having a head coach who can run everything in Boulder. He doesn't have to micromanage the football program. There's not going to be any problems. That's why he can be on the college football playoff committee, which means he's out of town Sunday through t- Tuesday every week. Right. during the season that's three days a week that's so much time but again with mel tucker with tad boyle all that stuff was supposed to be settled like there wasn't too much he had to do here he's on the name image likeness committee he's in on all the other committees um now with Darrell coming back that makes things tougher you just have to hope that that's all settled so that you have like stable coaching for the next athletic director if rick george does take that job right right um any more thoughts before we get out of here dre Nope. I think uh, I think we've covered just about it all. I think so, too. All right. Um, if you guys have any questions or comments, you can leave them on the post for today's show at thednvr.com, and I will get to those tomorrow on the Friday edition of the DNVR Buffs podcast. Um, also, if you haven't left a review for this show, please do. They are very helpful for us. Um, that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Buffs. Thank you.
they like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in it, play. I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it, go. You know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. Might not swear, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. Colorado swag. Man, I swear I think they like my Colorado swag. 